Okay, everybody, we have a great, fun-filled, action-packed Friday show for you today. First of all, we are developing a new narrative podcast story based on the true crime story of a 16-year-old hacking phenom who allegedly just got caught. And uh, then we're going to talk about a little podcasting history, my first appearance uh, on Buzz Out Loud. And this was 16 years ago when I uh, met Molly Wood. And we'll talk about Molly's incredible induction into Libsyn's Podcasting Hall of Fame. And a little bit of history. You're going to get some good Molly and J. Cal, some J-Mo history here. Yeah. Uh, And then finally, we have another great OK Boomer segment from producer Rachel, who had a live in-person interview in Miami. It's going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Bubble. Bubble empowers people to design and launch their own apps, marketplaces, or tools without needing coding skills or pricey engineers. The first 500 listeners will get one month free on any of Bubble's paid plans from $29 a month up to $529 a month at bubble.io slash twist. Coda is the all-in-one doc for teams. If you've got a stack of niche workflow tools or if you're buried in docs and spreadsheets, Coda is the doc that brings it all together. Startups can get a $1,000 credit at coda.io slash twist. And Mercury. Question, how much time have you wasted managing your company's money? Answer, too much. Switch to Mercury at mercury.com. Okay, Molly, there was this really crazy story about a 16-year-old hacker. Tee it up for us. We pretty much just have this one news story that we cannot ignore. Because uh, if you're unfamiliar, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Okta, OKTA, were all hacked over the past few months. Full disclosure that earlier this week, I was like, I don't know if we need to talk about that Okta hack. It seems like kind of a small story. But it turns out... Hmm. That the same hacking group, Lapsus dollar sign, so L-A-P-S-U-S dollar sign, claimed to be responsible for all of these hacks, which made it a bigger hacking story. And then then the mastermind behind Lapsus dollar sign, I don't know how we're supposed to say that. Okay, Lapsus. Russian, Chinese group. What is it? Tell me. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Super criminal. Um, It's a 16-year-old boy from the <laughs> UK who goes by the moniker White, like Mr. White. He yeah. goes by either White or Breach Base. Love he it. is 16. I'm going to reiterate that again. 16 years old. Evidently, so sophomore so in high school. skilled, hmm. so fast at hacking. His fingers are flying over the keyboard, so much so <laughs> that the investigators looking into this thought it must be automated, like they hmm. thought it was software. But instead, it was this bananas kid who's sweet, father evidently is like i don't know i mean we knew he was into computers but i didn't know he was, he was doing all video this games uh supposedly he amassed 14 million from hacking and uh has been identified by other uh hackers i guess who have doxed him and revealed his age address all this kind of stuff and they operated a telegram group with forty-seven thousand subscribers the last message uh, was sent last wednesday a few of our members has a vacation until 3 30 2022 i guess he's got to get his uh he's i guess grounded. he's got tests or something or whatever <laughs> maybe he's got to get a paper in or something he's a sophomore in high school we might be quiet for some times uh, maybe mom punished him and took the laptop away thanks for understanding <laughs> us we will try to leak stuff as soon as possible when we get back from spring break i guess dad's taking us somewhere to skiing oh or something oh my god um, and then it's so he was hacked. He was doxxed after a falling out with these other hackers because he's 16. They probably had hella teenage drama. Right. And then they outed this guy who, again, 
had amassed $14 million while his dad was like, I don't know. We just thought he was really into video I games. I mean, can you imagine being 16 years old with $14 million in what? Crypto money in a PayPal account? Where was this money? What was he doing with the money? What was he yeah. going to do with the money? We need this show. We need this to is the immediately show. 100. make this podcast and turn it into... Yes. A show on Hulu because it is the most remarkable story. It's also right, sort of the yeah. plot of one of my favorite movies, Hackers, with Johnny Lee yes. Miller and Angelina Jolie. This kid's mm-hmm. going to ha- hack the Gibson any day now. Uh, you know, you, you always got to think what should happen. And if I'm the UK government, I am taking this kid to the MI6 building. I'm assuming that exists, not just in the James Bond films. And I'm going to show him his new desk and his new <laughs> laboratory and be like, okay, we got these seven Russian oligarchs. We need their crypto money. We need to find Putin's crypto money at any assets, get everything that these oligarchs have. And uh, can you just put it on a thumb drive for us? Or here's a juvenile detention center with really ice cold showers and bad food and no internet. Exactly. Choose wisely. And then I would give him a DoorDash and an Uber Eats account and an Amazon account and say, buy whatever you want. You work for us now. And I would tell his parents like, yeah, you don't need to send him to school anymore. We're going to have a car pick him up and bring him over here. And uh, the end, when you find hackers like this, they obviously have, you know, they're misguided. Uh, They're typically, you know, playing and it's like a video game for them. A 16 year old's frontal lobes are not fully developed. So don't do, uh, you know, tragically what we've done here in the United States, which is uh, arrest these folks and uh, prosecute them. I know it's an easy thing to do to be vindictive about this uh and to think this person is a criminal obviously they are doing criminal behaviors uh but you this is a a level of talent that if you could channel it could be uh you know really great for you know the cia fbi mi6 or any other three-letter acronymed agency so do the right thing here like let's uh let's uh flip this person and get them working on you know china and russia and fight the real enemies 100%. 100%. Yeah. All right. We got to come up with a name for this. We're starting a new podcast about this kid. Uh, <laughs> we definitely are. Yeah. You have to so, buy our, so Hollywood, you have to buy our version of the story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Producers at yeah. thisweekinstartups.com. Yes. Email us. What email. do you think should be the title of yes, our title. now in development yes, podcast narrative podcast? Any about, submissions we own? Blah, 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 blah. About lapsus. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Molly becoming a member of the Podcasting Hall of Fame. Hey, everybody, I'm super excited to announce that Molly is being inducted into Libsyn's Podcasting Hall of Fame this weekend. Molly was, of course, the co-host of one of the first podcasts ever created. It was called Buzz Out Loud. She did it when she was at CNET. It also was live streamed. And I was on the show back in October of 2005, 16 years ago, right after Weblogs Inc. was acquired by AOL. And uh, this was a very funny moment because we re-recorded the interview (laughs) <laughs> and this was the early days of podcasting, Molly. I remember this moment now. It's coming back to me. Oh, my God. Well, they and lost y- the audio file. Uh, yes. And so, and as you may recall, this was our big peace summit. Oh, like, right. Because, because I had gone after you for something. Yeah, I can't remember. Jason had come after me because I referred to I, Engadget, I think, as a rumor blog. Oh. Yeah. Right. Right. You had seen it, Even the big 800-pound gorilla. Even now, he's like a little mad about it. I know. I wrote, I wrote this glancing aside in a column about Apple and how Apple treats the media. And I talked about rumor blogs. And Jason was like, oh, hell no. And find me rumors about Molly Wood. And it was a whole thing. And, you know, I, 
I emailed and we were like, we put it back together. And yes. so then we were like, we're going to have Jason on the show and right. this is going to be the big, like, it's going to be oh, okay. God, I'm cringing already. <laughs> I don't even know what we're going to hit the play button, what this and is going to be. We record the whole thing and it's great. It's like great. It's a lovely it? conversation. Okay, let's see. Let's see. And let's then we play. Because I did brigade you, I think. You Oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> you definitely I like, did. I'm you bringing like offering my, people money if they could. Existed. Yeah, he was like, I'll give you $1,000 if you can come up with a rumor about Molly Wood. It was a whole. I did not do that. You did. You, you might did. Okay, you here we go. <laughs> it's fine. We're fine now. We're fine <laughs> now. The original apology. <laughs> totally. Apology. Right, so then, uh, so the clips we have, the first clip is this 43 second clip of you being introduced on Buzz Out Loud 16 years ago and breaking the fourth wall a little bit. All right, here we go. Let's go. All right, we have Jason Calcanis, CEO of Weblogs Inc., now an AOL property with us. Thanks for joining us, Jason. Thanks for, thanks for having me. And I guess I'm not supposed to mention that we had to re-record the entire podcast. <laughs> that is right. Absolutely do not mention that this is our second take. This is, thanks, this is live. Doesn't everyone know? Live? <laughs> yeah. It never happens to this. Hey, you know what? Live on our reader, our users' iPods. That kind of stuff <laughs> makes people feel better about their own podcasts and exactly, their own technical exactly. problems because everybody C-Net, has the mighty this CNET lost the entire podcast. We're doing it again. Yeah, it so, happens but it's to everybody. Be so we, we, we apologize to our listeners because the... <laughs> The first interview was awesome. Oh, yeah. My energy is much lower. <laughs> we got all the good dish. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. This is now we but know why we send a podcasting kit to everybody. This is why podcasting didn't take off. You couldn't do a remote. It sounded horrible. Even the mighty CNET. It sounded totally uh, horrible. The mighty CNET. But incredible. what was so amazing is that, I mean, I cannot tell you the, the nausea that occurred when we realized we had lost the interview. But Jason, yeah. despite, you know. I thought it was hilarious. And that clip was so nice. He was like, that's fine. We'll just do it again. Yeah. Second take. Better than amazing. Hey, let me tell you about one of the original innovators in the no code space. You know who I'm talking about. Bubble. Bubble empowers anyone to design and launch their own apps, marketplaces, tools without any coding skills or any pricey engineers. Bubble's got a digital editor and a cloud-based hosting platform that starts at just $29 a month. You can go from an idea to launching a product in days or weeks, not months, quarters, or years. Bubble utilizes really simple drag-and-drop elements in their visual editor. What you see is what you get. They handle all the boring stuff like deployment and hosting, so you can focus on what matters, the product and your customers. And actually, Seth Brown, who went to our Founder University program and graduated, used Bubble to build and launch his on-demand gift-giving marketplace. It's called Gifting. He told us that Bubble helped him grow Gifting's pre-launch community with no coding required. Bubble has over 1 million users and enables over 1 billion in business volume for a reason. So here's a quick call to action. Bubble is offering you one month free on any of their paid plans. That ranges from $29 a month up to $529 a month. But act fast because they're only offering this deal for the first 500 redemptions. Head to bubble.io slash twist and snag one of those 500 coupons today. Yes, that was the second take. And then we actually have a 47 47 second clip of you talking about the AOL acquisition and then chiding our producer. And this sets up even more lore. So we're going to play the clip first and then tell the history. Oh, God, here we go. We weren't looking to do a deal. We weren't looking to be acquired. But, uh, you know, we were in the process of raising money from, uh, you know, some Internet gurus, you know, people who had done incredibly well in the Internet business. And we already had one as our angel investor, Mark Cuban, 
of the Dallas Mavericks and HDNet and, you know, Ice Rocket and a bunch of other interesting sites and, and companies, mm-hmm. uh, formerly at Broadcast.com, which is built Yahoo. So now AOL has become the investor. Well, AOL is now the investor. That's right. And, you know, that joke is better the second time around. Uh, <laughs> Burn. Uh, we'd be like the reoccurring theme. We just keep talking about how Veronica <laughs> lost the tape. Anyway. It's Groundhog um, Day. Watch it, Jason. Oh, watch it. Okay. Yeah, Veronica's Veronica in has, charge, you and know. she has an army of fans on our podcast. So I know. want to be I careful. Veronica's great. We love Veronica. Okay, anyway. <laughs> God, I sound like Trump. Uh, Veronica's great. Okay, we all love Veronica. I, you know, I, I was I was not going to say it, but I was thinking it too. I was like, man, when you're on the phone talking, okay. you really do sound a little like Trump. It's so, so bad. It's so bad. But the the double lore there for people who are listening is that then Jason went on to poach Veronica yep. Yep. for Mahalo. I and did. make her I did. a star. Which uh, we did Veronica actually always do has that. been, and but we gave Jason her a vehicle, Mahalo like, Daily. We just started a YouTube channel, and we did Mahalo Daily, where she would just do funny bits with Lon Harris, and was producing that. It was very funny, yeah. and it went viral. So, good she times. She's hilarious. I want to shout out too. By the way, this is like the power of podcasting community. We have this audio thanks to a group of Buzz Out Loud fans who, over the last year, like now, all these years later have recreated what they're yes. calling the Buzztown Archive, which you can find at buzztownarchive.com. They wow. like combed the internet. They have a whole community on Discord. They w- went to CNET and were like, do you still have links to these? And they are recreating all Amazing. six years of this daily podcast that started in 2005 and, and wow. reposting them online. And that's how I was able to find this episode. Well, it, it was phenomenal. Like, it is phenomenal. It's amazing. The this fandom, is, that podcasting yes. community. I mean, the Nodies know it perfectly well. Like, it's not just the show. It's the fact that they planned an entire party during, you know, in the chat during our episode. It's incredible. And you just think about those early days of podcasting, streaming, blogging, mm-hmm. you know, and what it's become now. Uh, back then, we were just trying to get the tools right. We were trying to get the audio file uploaded to not lose the audio file, you know, like that moment, I'm joking about it, but the reason I didn't no, make it, did. it such it a big deal yeah. was because it happened all the time. We would Actually, lose shows, that totally audio was terrible. It had, it had it, never happened to us, and yeah. I don't know if it ever happened again. Like, Well, it was pirate radio was, days. The early days was, was like we were doing something that was underground. It was kind of like the zine movement, the blog movement, this podcasting movement. And, you know, now it's become a huge business, and it's a lesson for everybody. You know, Molly and I give you a lot of credit here. You deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, uh, whichever versions of it there are and will be in the future, (laughs) because you took uh, a sincere chance with your career to go all in on a nascent medium. And this is great advice for anybody who wants to do great things in their life. You find a nascent medium, nobody's doing it, uh, and you just double down and double down and you make it your craft and you become the best at it. And Molly, you are, uh, you know, in the top you know, five to 10 people to ever do this. And you deserve to be in uh, the Hall of Fame, obviously. And a lot of people are standing on your shoulders, because you were figuring all this out in the early days, including me, I came right after you guys. I think you guys were doing this actually before it was called podcasting. Um, I think you were just streaming. I think so. They were well, they were starting to call it podcast. I mean, I remember when we got the 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 pitch at CNET, like there was, you know, some forward thinking executive was like, I'm hearing about this thing called podcasts. Yeah. And I think you should do one. Like, you know, mm. she said that to Tom and I, because Tom and I just like to have funny conversations at lunch, yeah. which is how, you know, podcasts. Shout out, out to Tom Merritt. Yeah. Shout out Tom Merritt is the other voice you heard there. 
But it was, I mean, that's how early it was. It literally had just become a technology. It had just become a wrapper, the, you know, mm -hmm. the RSS feed, the idea that you could embed audio. And that is, you know, thanks to Dave Weiner and Adam Curry. And it was sort of this parallel development. And we developed what was, I think, arguably the first commercially successful podcast. Mm -hmm. um, and then, but ironically, and I was just saying this, you're the guy who kept it going. Then CNET gave up on the medium, uh, right? Yeah. Everybody gave up on the medium, which I, I still think is one of the biggest crimes that company has ever committed. And all that time, Jason, by God, was yeah. still doing it. Like yeah. still podcasting. I, I think, you know, that's the other big lesson. I learned that from Peter Rojas, um, who was the founded Gizmodo. And then I poached him to doing Gadget. And that mm -hmm. was a, one of the great poachings I ever did. And I think you'll be on that list as well, Molly, of, <laughs> you know, just me finding great talent and saying, let me let me bring these people in and, and, and help them uh, mm -hmm. build a platform around them is don't stop. Don't stop. You know, I asked Peter, what's the secret to blogging? And he said, showing up every day. And I think yeah. other people have used that quote for acting, basketball, you know, in any number of pursuits, but just keep going. Don't stop. Because if you don't stop, then eventually uh, luck happens, you know, and, you know, that, that's basically the story of my career, which is opportunities just emerged because I hadn't stopped doing stuff. I just kept doing stuff in the world. And when people see you consistently do something over a decade, over two decades, it's undeniable and people will not, can't ignore you. And so congratulations. It's a, it's an incredible uh, thing to be inducted or to be thought of uh, in this way. And uh, we're still here in the early days. So I think, you know, we're in the second decade of podcasting. I, I think it's still very early days. Mm -hmm. And if you look at these podcasts, the fact that this one is six days a week, that, you know, I've got you as the co-host, that we have 10 people working on it. You're just starting to think of the scale of this. And we were having a chat today and uh, we were not joking about, well, maybe we should do some, you know, documentary style spinoffs of this show where, you know, by the team that produced this show, we could do our own documentary. We could do a Netflix show. We could do a scripted show. We could do a reality show. We, we know how to do it uh, because we're yeah. here every day on air. And we can make other projects, right? So I think this is becoming the foundation of media. I think podcasting is becoming where great ideas start. So the dropout, which we talked about uh, on the show, is a podcast. It's built off a podcast. And so podcasts are where intelligent people, um, you know, have important discussions. And I, I mm -hmm. think that is, uh, you know, quite a legacy. And we crashed also. Like there was the John Kerry ah, book, or the, right. I'm sorry, there was a, the book about we work, but this is based on the ABC podcast, the, ah. the show that we talked about with Lon. Got so it. it's, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is really, there's an interesting moment where podcasting is, has been like talk radio for a long mm -hmm. time. That's what Buzz Out Loud was. That's kind of what this show is. Yep. Then it started to become narrative and it, yep. now it's like feedstock. It's IP. It's IP. It's like the plays that become yeah. the movie. Unbelievable. So yeah, All right. well, we well, enjoy your time uh, getting inducted and, uh, Hopefully they have a clip we can play next week. Yep. It's live streamed, so we'll be able to, oh, we can record right. it. Well, let's retweet mm -hmm. it. Okay. Efficiency is one of the main components in startup success. Everybody knows this. And that's what Coda is all about. Coda is the all-in-one document for teams. Your text and tables live together in the same document, which helps any team member collaborate more efficiently. They've got thousands of templates to work with, or you can take one of the playbooks published by some of the best innovators out there and use them for yourself. Coda works out of the box and it's totally customizable 
so you can create a wiki or a knowledge hub for your team. You can onboard new hires quickly, and you can adapt fast to any major or minor changes in your business. Yeah, special projects, that kind of stuff. And here is how we use Coda at This Week in Startups. My guy Presh made us an upvoting system on Coda for questions and topics for this very podcast, This Week in Startups. So you can go to thisweekinstartups.com slash questions and submit questions and topics that our producers will read and they might include in the show. How awesome is that? So here's an easy call to action. Coda has an amazing program for startups to help optimize and support your documents. Just go to coda.io slash twist and you're going to get $1,000 in credits. Once again, coda.io slash twist to get $1,000 in credits. All right, we uh, are back with Everybody's favorite segment, producer Rachel doing OK Boomer. This week, she's talking with Jadon Johnson, who is the creator of Miami Hack Week. Basically, she's just living the dream in Miami and talking to all the interesting people who are we're building that tech scene. Let's it, not, it's a let's real not sugarcoat it. It's a real thing. And she is, thing. she is just hustling her butt off, finding all of them and putting all them right. on the show. Well done. Rachel reporting. OK Boomer, up next. Okay, Boomer. I understood the assignment. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another in-person recording of Okay, Boomer. This is only my second one. So hopefully this one turns out even better than the last. My first in-person recording was actually also in Miami during Miami Hack Week. I'm in Miami again doing some other work for Jason. And I decided that I would love to have on the creator of Miami Hack Week because my first time here was so great. So with me today, I have Jadon Johnson the founder Hello. of Miami Hack Week. Hello, welcome back to Miami. Glad to have you here. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So for also repping Miami Hack Week. Yeah, I love the t-shirt. I'm repping a tank top. It is That's freaking good. hot out here. So I guess for everybody listening, can you just describe what Miami Hack Week is before we dive into that? Yeah, I think Miami Hack Week is unlike any other hackathon anywhere else in the world. Um, you know, we, we like started off like trying to figure out like a dope way to bring engineers to Miami. And we we're like, how do we make Miami attractive? So we took... All the best things of Miami beyond our dope ecosystem, which is like the parties, the mansions, um, and kind of like that, that lifestyle everybody has of just like, you know, work hard, play hard. Uh, and we morphed it into a hackathon. So what I guess in essence, Miami Hack Week is a, is, is a one week hackathon where, uh, basically companies run hacker houses, um, all across the entire city. Um, and then we just like fill a, fill a calendar with a bunch of events. It's an amazing time. We bring, we brought over like 2000 engineers from across the world to Miami so far and we're less than a year old. So it's, oh it's, it's pretty dope. That's awesome. And this last one that I attended was the second Miami Hack Week, correct? It was the second stage of Miami Hack Week. So the first one was August, 2021. Second one was January, 2022. Quick turnaround. And then we're doing that next one in August again of this year. <laughs> so are you going to try to have one like each season or each quarter or something like that? Um, you know, like, honestly, we're just like riding the momentum for mm -hmm. now. Uh, there, there's an appetite for it. Miami's ecosystem is definitely like, like, like growing and, and, um, and we want talent here. Yeah. Uh, so Miami Hack Week is just like, you know, like we don't have a formula for it. For when we're throwing it, like if, if, if the vibe feels right, we're throwing the next hack. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I think what was so interesting to me about Miami as a whole and being a Gen Z in Miami is I've noticed that there's been a lot of events, not just Miami Hack Week, um, that have really called towards young people flocking to the city. So there was Art Basel, there was Miami Hack Week. I know Tech Week or Tech Month Miami's, uh, coming up soon. Why do you think so many Gen Zs in particular are heading down to Miami? Yeah, I, you know, honestly, I I feel like one of the 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 cool things about Miami is that they're, they're like 
the 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 rank order of like you know where you fall within like the ladder of your career um like it doesn't really stand here uh so okay. like even if you're like just entering the the startup world for the first time um you could just like tweet or through like your mutual connection go like connect with somebody who is you know seen as like the top of the the ladder or more established in their in their career um unlike a lot of other ecosystems where it's just like yeah you know i'm i am a senior at some company or whatever like don't 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 bother me <laughs> yeah that's actually great advice like so going to a city that's not necessarily as saturated in the tech ecosystem early on in your career so you have access to people that are higher up and getting firsthand experience so that's a really good idea especially coming from you who lives in miami i live in new york i haven't, I guess, necessarily reached out to anybody like super high up at any companies. But I wonder if I was based in Miami, if I'd have more access to people that are more, um, more established in their careers. Yeah. I, honestly, I, you know, I remember one of my, my first experiences, like right before I decided to move to Miami last year, a uh, friend just invited me to a bike ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like about like December. Um, and it like basically on, um, Saturday mornings, they, they do like a, there's like a Miami tech cycling group. Um, wow. and I like pull up and there was like John Aringer there. It was like the CEO of, of Shutterstock who had yeah. just like moved to Miami. Wow. Um, and I've just had like so many like random runnings with, with, uh, people that you probably just like see on Twitter, <laughs> um, or you just like hear about in, 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 in the, in the, in the, um, in the ether and in the, in the Twitterverse. Uh, and you just like run into them here in Miami and it's just like so random. Like, you know, like even one day, I think like Andrew Chen came to Miami. And oh, like, what the heck? It was just like, who should I connect with? Yeah. Um, and somebody tagged me and he like sent me a DM and we like had lunch with a couple of people like the next day. So I mean, like there, there's also sort of like very random and fun stuff happening in Miami. And, and I think that access is very critical, especially if you're just like starting, uh, in your career. And it's one of the reasons Miami Hack Week has been like so incredibly successful is because that standing order doesn't exist in our event. And we bring people across all different levels of seniority. Um, and they're spending the same, um, the same week in like a very similar environment. Uh, everybody's just like having a great time. Do you have recommendations for people that are really early on in their careers that don't necessarily know where to settle down? Is Miami like just a place that you think you can come to during these events? Or do you think Miami is like a permanent spot? I, for example, work remotely. I chose New York because it was a cool city to live in, not necessarily because my job was located there. A ton of other technical people, especially in the startup world, are facing that. Do you think that they should be coming to Miami for the events? Or do you think this is a place that people should be living? Yeah, I mean, def- Miami is definitely a place to, to be living. And it's it's always it's always hard to... It's always hard to talk about Miami as a place to live, especially when I know like rent is like <laughs> shooting, uh, through the roof. Uh, but there, there is like a quality of life that can be enjoyed here. Uh, you know, if, if you have access to that type of, um, opportunities, mm-hmm. I, I've personally like really enjoyed living here. I, I ultimately made the decision to move from, um, up north, uh, a year ago. And I've been, I've just been like loving this, the city and I've, I've made so many friends. Um, I just like, I'm always having like a, a fun time. And then, you know, even with what's happening with the tech ecosystem, we have like uh, mayors between Mayor Daniela Levine-Cavo, who's the mayor of the county, uh, Mayor Suarez, you know, who everybody knows. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just like a, a, a refreshed commitment to actually helping to build and scale the tech ecosystem. Sure. So if you're like very fresh in your tech career, there are like startups for you to join. Um, there are companies who are deciding to build here. There's an abundance of capital in, in like just like 
all over the the ecosystem yeah. with all the big firms who are uh, who have decided to move to move here. Um, and then or the movements like Miami Hack Week are like breeding, you know, like a, a new class of of talent of entrepreneurs who are building companies here who are hiring locally. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's almost a a no brainer if 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 you're if you're considering a place to go. I love that. And why? Like, what's the main purpose of Miami Hack Week? Why would people go? Well, so, I mean, Miami Hack Week's true purpose is actually, like, convincing engineers to explore Miami as an ecosystem. Um, you know, if you're a software engineer, you're probably, like, living somewhere like California um, or some of the other, like, major tech hubs. Um, Miami has probably never been on your radar because probably the only thing you've heard about is just, like, the, the beaches and the parties here. Um, so we wanted to provide a place where they could access community and they could, like, work with actually, like, incredible local companies. Um, so as a, as an engineer, it's almost like an, a no brainer, like, yeah. you know, come for a week, explore what the city has to offer. Um, and then you just might decide to stay so far. We've had a bunch of people who have decided to stay. Um, and that's like, you know, very early. And then on the second part is, um, we're waiting for the local ecosystem to catch up in terms of the supply of talent. Um, there's, there's been some investment by local institutions into colleges, into local universities, um, but the, the results of that will probably take like four to five years okay. uh, before it gets to like a meaningful point. So this is almost like a, a, a stopgap um, in terms of getting talent into the ecosystem so that companies can actually flourish and they don't need to look outside Miami or um, at least they can look here first um, when they decide to hire. Gotcha. And you're one of the first hires at a company. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you do outside of Miami Hack Week? Yes, I mean, I was, I was I was super lucky to be a part of the. I was like employee number six at an organization called uh, Upstream. Um, so we're basically building uh, infrastructure for communities or groups of people to have a shared wallet on the, the blockchain. Uh, for a lot of people, they'll they'll hear this referred to as like DAOs. Um, so if you're wondering what a DAO is, uh, it's a decentralized autonomous organization. And you know what Upstream has done is just like make it super easy uh, for the average person to start a DAO. Um, to have access to the tools they need mm-hmm. to successfully run those DAOs. Um, yeah. And, you know, like being a part of that journey was incredible. Uh, joining, um, Michael and Alex, uh, right after they had like sold a company and like, p- and started a new company in like the, the social networking space to us now eventually. Um, you know, we just like raised our series A at 12.5 a couple, a couple like two weeks ago. Oh, um, and now we're like growing pretty quickly as a company. So being part, a part of that journey has been like super incredible. And my job is I'm the head of business development and partnerships. So I'm like working very closely with all the, the DAOs that are being sprung up. And as somebody who's like very passionate about community, uh, you know, I love my job because it, it's like really, it forces me to think about what the, what's the future, what does the future of community look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and what's the role upstream is going to be playing in, in helping us to build that like future of community. How much time have you wasted managing your company's money? I'm guessing way too much. Well, Mercury lets you manage your money the same way you manage your startup, which is really well. So with Mercury, startups can get FDIC insured bank accounts. And here's why customers love it so much. The UX is beautiful and easy to use and your onboarding is super fast. You get started in just a few business days, not weeks. And you can issue physical and virtual debit cards in just a few clicks. And you can exchange currency right from your Mercury dashboard. So sending domestic and international wires is so easy. Jose Ordonez is a launch portfolio founder and a Mercury customer. She's the CEO of AirPals, a Coria service marketplace. And Mercury save AirPals employees 10 hours per month on average with their expenses because of the really elegant software and sorting features. This made managing expenses fast and easy 
for Hoshe's teammates so they can get back to work on the important stuff like their product and their customers. So here's a call to action. On top of making it easier to manage your money, Mercury also helps startups get more of it. Now Mercury offers venture debt, which provides founder-friendly loans right in your Mercury bank account. So head to mercury.com to get started in minutes. All banking services provided by Evolve Bank and Trust. So I saw Upstream. I really like their tagline saying DAO in a box with no code. I think that's really interesting. If you were going to have like the most perfect use case for a DAO, what would that be? Why should people even consider? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, a, a very, a, so, I mean, one of the reasons I like um, DAOs is obviously in like how communities getting to is, is like at a place where everybody wants to like participate. Um, and actually, I think a very like useful example is that we're actually thinking of turning Miami Hack Week into a DAO. Um, because there's a couple things we want to do is that we, we believe that communities should benefit in the, the upside of their like participation, right? Yeah. Um, so it, like, let's think of like Miami Hack Week as being a part of a larger ecosystem. Um, how do we ensure that like engineers, engineers, companies, investors, like all the people in our ecosystem, um, can actually be rewarded for participating at like the best level in that yeah. ecosystem? Um, so, I mean, that's, that's probably like a, a great use case for a DAO is like where you have like a, a very like mission driven organization trying to get to a specific outcome, which for us is to get 5,000 engineers to Miami, um, creating no incentive structures for all the different stakeholders in that ecosystem, uh, to participate. Uh, that's, that's one use case that I personally just like find like to be very enticing, but through my job, I've seen people like do things like start DAOs to buy plane tickets with plane <laughs> tickets with their their friends. You know, like democratizing, uh, choosing the destination to go to, yeah. and then they're they're crypto native people, so they're like, hey, we're gonna be spending money, spending this money, um, or this ETH, anyways. Uh, so why not just like do it through a uh, uh, um a method that's like very like friendly or crypto native, you know? It's funny because the first time DAOs really, really sprung up, I think, in mainstream was probably the Constitution DAO. I think that's probably when most people heard of it. It's been thrown around on Twitter a lot before then. So we do have some podcast episodes if anybody was interesting on the Constitution DAO, if you want to go look. But I've even noticed people that were at Miami Hack Week um, create their own DAOs. The first one that comes to mind is dropout doubt that's one i know that um was started by people that attended miami hack week mm -hmm. why do you think so many young people are choosing to create those rather than just kind of like facilitate their communities on like discord or something yeah because as i say, it's, it's it, it goes back to that 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 core essential part of a DAO, which is a democratization of like the decision making and and being able okay. to like gain upside in like in your participation um from the community so i mean i, I don't i don't want to like make it complex um, but like, you know, when we talk about like tokenomics and being able to earn rewards are proportional to the level you participate, um, that just gives that, that, that equally incentivizes people across the board to participate. And, you know, we've seen traditionally where communities tend to have, like, if we have a, a community of a hundred persons, they're usually like 10 core contributors in that, in that community. Right. Um, and what DAOs do is that they create, they now create like a way to wait, like that kind of like participation. So the more you, the more you're in it, <laughs> the higher, like, like people can actually yeah. like see, people can actually see, um, that the outcomes or the rewards of, of, of that. So, I mean, these, these groups are just like mobilizing around, um, they're mobilizing around ideas around things that they're passionate about. And, you know, we, we can't like ignore that, uh, the blockchain is, is, is definitely going to be a, a, a technology, um, of the future. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm sure like these people are just like riding that, that wave. Yeah. Again, another Miami uh, startup that I have to plug 
BitBasel, who you introduced me to, I believe the founder of BitBasel is entire, uh, there's an education portion. So if you don't know a ton about the blockchain, I would highly recommend Googling what BitBasel is. They break it down really well for you. Um, so for a DAO, this is just coming from somebody I've never been in a DAO. So is there a certain amount of people that you think would be ideal for one to start? Like this doesn't sound like something that if it was only like me and one other person, we would create a DAO. Like what amount of people in a community do you think you need to start it? I mean, that, that, that it completely depends on what your DAO is going to be, is going to be doing. Maybe you and a, you and a, you and, you and just an, an next person might not be the ideal case. So let's say like maybe three plus people, right? And okay. it, it, it kind of like re- depends on like what the goal is, the level of trust that exists between those, um, those persons. Cause the, the DAO helps to like reestablish the trust. Yeah. Trust. There's like mutual agreement in like our order of operations and we we're all like figuring it out as a, as a group. Um, so, you know, like whether you're talking, like I've seen there are groups of just like five people who are trying to like move resources around to yeah. do specific things. Um, this creates the accountability, the transparency, um, and incentivizes the participation. Or we're talking about like a hundred people, uh, 200, 300 people trying to buy the constitution. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's all varied. So can upstream help facilitate investment DAOs as well or no? Yeah. So, I mean, like DAOs, we, we, yeah, we do have investment DAOs on, on upstream. Okay. And why would somebody choose to do an investment DAO over like a syndicate then? Well, so, I mean, as I say, it's, it's, it, cause they have more say. You have more say. Um, your, your, your access to the upside is also very different. Whereas a syndicate is just like, Hey, like me and let's say I'm running a syndicate. I'm like, Hey, I'll, I lead the syndicate. I also get carry on all the capital that's contributed to that syndicate. So, mm-hmm. so therefore, like any persons whose participation in that like venture deal, um, their contribution has already been like, you know, watered down yeah. a bit. Um, whereas with a DAO, if you decide to, to invest through a DAO, unless like the terms is like, Hey, somebody's getting carry, like, but more time than not. Um, there's actually like equal access to participation. Got you. Okay. Um, in a, in a, in, in a, in a stronger incentive structure, you know? Okay. That totally makes sense. And also like, you know, a lot of times with, we, we talk about like investment dollars. It's not only like related to like the investment in, in venture. Yeah. Like we, there are people who are just like pooling money together to, yeah. to, to do things like buy NFTs, yeah. um, or buy other assets on the blockchain. Um, or like even buy, buy a, a, a sports team. Um, so, so, you know, they're, they're, I guess they're more like varied uses for a, what DAOs can help to facilitate versus like a traditional syndicate. I want to back up now because you said you were one of the first hires at Upstream. How would you go about hiring somebody that's even younger than us? So at my Miami Hack Week, I noticed that I was actually probably like on the older side. There was people that as young as 19 there. And I think the oldest person that I met was probably 30. They were few and far between. 25 was probably like, I'm 24. 25 was another one, few and far between people, 25. A lot of 19 year olds because those kids either went to college or took a gap year and dropped out or uh, never went back and realized that you can make really good money in tech. And how do you think would be the best way for startups to go hire those 19 year olds that are insanely smart? So, I mean, Miami Hack Week is a great model, right? And yeah. I, I think, I think the future of hiring is, is changing as like, if you're like a founder. Mm-hmm. So a, a thing you actually observed with Miami Hack Week 2.0, um, is a lot of those, a lot of the companies that were running hacker houses were actually started by people who attended Miami Hack Week, uh, really? the first version of Miami really? Hack Week and then launched a company okay. and then recognized like the value of just like, Hey, like we should like create these like interesting experiences and have 
people come and like learn about our company. So, I mean, Miami Hack Week gives the startups like a super unfair advantage. Yeah. Um, basically, if a startup is able to share their value proposition with, uh, with these like engineers, with these, uh, young business dev professionals, like all sorts of like talents. Yeah. Um, if they're able to like communicate their value proposition uh, right. very well, or they're able to throw like the best event, yeah. then they immediately become like top of mind in terms of, Hey, I'd love to work with this company. So, I mean, I'd use one example, right? Like, um, Michael, Michael and Matthew Vega signs and Lulo brothers, uh, they've been sponsors for the last two Miami hack week. Um, they're like 24 year old founders. Um, for, uh, it's called Lulo. Uh, so Lula. it's like a venture back company. I know they, they were back like, like SoftBank and a couple other like major VC firms. Um, so they participated in the first one. Uh, literally somebody decided to join like this, this, uh, one of their employees, Henry, uh, he was like, yeah, Miami's not that great. I'm definitely <laughs> like moving back to New York. He spent a week with them. Um, literally the week after left New York and moved oh, to Miami, my uh, just because he like really loved the, the company loved the team. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like, like, I, I guess, I guess to kind of answer your question, if you're like a young founder looking, thinking, or if you're a founder thinking how to attract, um, some of like the, this new generation of talent um who are just like very willing like definitely like setting themselves yeah. um a bar above the rest um it's just like thinking about what un- what what unconventional untraditional way uh you can like get in front of them and and really it's it's a lot more than just the salary for for a lot of hey. these like young people they they're looking for uh mission mission or causes that that really aligns with their own like personal values and just like giving them giving and providing an environment where where they can uh, learn about some of those things is pretty dope. So a lot, to, a lot more companies are like participating in conferences. I'm um, going to like hackathons, like ETH Denver, Miami Hack Week, yeah, coming South to things Miami, like yeah, totally. South by things like Miami Tech Month. Um, everybody's just trying to put their like best foot forward, um, and attract like the the really attract yeah. the best. <laughs> I totally I see what you're saying too because the reason I said 19 in particular is because I don't think we have as a society as a society totally focused on that age group, that age group being younger than like 23, 18, 23 into highly professional atmospheres. Because before these kids were in college or they were doing trade work or just not doing things like becoming software engineers at this rate at such a young age, because um, I think the pandemic showed a lot of people that they didn't have to go to college um, or that college wasn't the only option. So a lot of people took time off. A lot of people are noticing like the startup world a little more, which is cool. But now the people that are a little older than us, the millennials that have these companies um, or even other Gen Zs that are around our age are really struggling to cater to these people that are just a few years younger than us because it's such an unknown territory. But I think you're right with capturing culture. You can't have culture a lot of times just over Zoom. Like that's incredibly difficult. I think I think our podcast does a really good job at it. We do a live stream every day. We really try to like push culture in our company um, with how much like we communicate. But at most companies, you're not talking to somebody. You're not live streaming a podcast. You're not talking to your boss or hearing your boss talk all day, every day. So by doing things like conferences and events, you're giving these kids that are of college age that same like cultural socialization um, feeling, I think, that they would have gotten if they didn't jump right into the workforce. Yeah. And... You know, like for, for, for me personally, at least it's, it's like I started, I, I, I got into the space of business when I was pretty young, like 15. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I, I, wow. I like, like age, age, age has never been the defining factor uh, for me in terms of just like my ability. And I, 
I, it, it, it easy, like I, I easily recognize and resonates so much, um, with some of these like upcoming talent. Yeah. Um, and they're definitely like a huge value added in, in, in companies because we're, first of all, like a lot of us are like very like digital natives, right? Mm -hmm. So we've been like honing crafts or skills ever since we're like 16, 15. Um, and we're, we're entering the workforce a lot more like, um, professional, like developed professional skills than, yeah. than maybe some of our peers who relied solely on like school to get access to that. But with the internet, like, yeah, you, you, then we're sad. Like, That's learn. so <laughs> true. I, I, I also see it when you were talking about before, like, it's not just uh, like a salary anymore that's driving these kids because we've learned so much on the internet. We have these digital native skills. I feel like they're so easily monetizable. So becoming like a contractor, a freelancer, uh, an independent is completely an option. And you could make such so much money doing that. So it's so difficult, I find, to like retain this young talent, especially in the tech space, because they're not like financially motivated from their company anymore. Like they have to have loyalty. They have to have culture. Because if it's just like a check that they're trying to like run after, you can really find that now, not anywhere. I don't want to say anywhere, but if you're like a really, really good software engineer, or if you I actually noticed, um, people that are coding, what are those called? Like these contracts, smart contracts. If you're a software engineer that understands smart contracts, become a freelancer. Like that is the most crazy thing. In order to have like somebody that programs and like knows the front and back of a smart contract and keep them in-house must be so freaking hard. So, 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 so hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, if, if you're that person, come to the next yeah. Miami Hacker. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, like, like one thing I was super proud of with the last Miami Hacker because we actually did something called Hack at Campus. Okay. Um, and that was focused on getting uh, more locals uh, involved with really? Miami Hack Week. Okay. Um, so we partnered with two of the largest like institutions here, which is my uh, FIU um, and Miami Dade College. And we did a hackathon specifically for students. Cool. Um and had that track running all week. So I mean, the students got training, mm -hmm. uh, which is the thing they needed. Um, and then you know they got exposed to the tech world because they were able to come to any Miami Hack Week event. Yeah. Uh, they were part of the Miami Hack Week Hack Week experience. And I just remember, like on I think it was a Friday last week, I just saw like an article come out in one of our local publications about like a 19 year old who like literally like is now like starting his career in software engineering, wow. uh, just from like being involved in in Miami Hack Week and some of like the, the programs being offered by the local uh, institutions. So yeah, like definitely take a bet on the young talent that you're seeing, mm -hmm. that you're seeing out there. Like they're, they are hungry uh, yeah. for opportunities, hungry for a chance to, to put their skills to use. Um, they're coming in with, with, with a lot of talent. Um, you know, we can, we can put some respect on their, on their names and, and really like give them a space, um, give them a space to actually shine, but also to like be invested and, and committed in their success and acting as mentors uh, and supporting their development. And, you know, they're, they're like, I've seen, I've seen a lot of like, like, or Miami Hack Week team. I don't think there was anybody. I think there were probably like just a few people on our team who are like a bit older than like 25. Yeah. So, seriously. you know, like even, even a big, a big project like Miami Hack Week is being like led by a very similar yeah. uh, demographic. And we're working with all all sorts of, of people. So yeah, pretty, some pretty incredible stuff. Awesome. So are you guys going to do anything then for Miami? What is that? Miami tech month? Well, we're, so we're kicking, we're, we're actually hosting a Miami tech month kickoff party on, oh. April, on April 3rd. Okay. Um, Coming up we, we, yeah. So we like dropped some tickets for those and they all like sold out today. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, we and then you know we're we're we're, we're I mean just follow at Miami Hack Week on on Twitter because we will be sharing some of the stuff that we're working on. Um, we have an exciting uh, collaboration that we're going to be doing with three or five uh three or five ventures focused on supporting founders. Um, obviously, like you know, Emerge Americas is going to be a pretty big deal. So really, really impressed with all that. You know, Melissa Medina and Felice Gordon, the whole like Emerge Americas Americas team, what they've been. Uh, doing, they've been the biggest champions of like Miami, Miami's tech ecosystem year after uh, year after year. And they've been doing this for many years. Um, they're actually like the OG, like Miami tech week was, oh, I love that. What was, was born through like Emerge America. So, you know, like super, like that's definitely a can't miss event. Um, and with some of like the fresh energy coming into Miami, you know, if, uh, Founders Fund is also doing their, um, their Miami tech week. Uh, they have like a conference that's going on. Yeah. Uh, so that should be pretty incredible. Uh, but yeah, like just follow. Miami Hack Week will kind of share anything we know. Awesome. Um, yeah. And you're 24 too, right? So yeah. you have one more year until you're like one of the older people had attended. <laughs> well, where can people find you if people had any questions? Yeah. I mean, I'm at JDN Johnson on, on, on Twitter. Awesome. Um, you know, and honestly, if you hit up Miami Hack Week, you, you'll probably you. find me anyways. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on. This was super exciting. Thank you for having me. I hope me. I can make it down in the month of April because this city is just. Um, I actually didn't know too much about Miami until Miami Hack Week. So your event did make me fall in love with the space. Everybody's been wonderful. So thank you so much again. And I hope to see you again soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, everyone. Producer Nick here. I want to tell you about the SaaS syndicate. If you're a founder of a SaaS company with a product and market, our investment team wants to talk to you. Head over to the syndicate.com slash SaaS, S-A-A-S to apply to raise from the SaaS syndicate. And you can join Jason's syndicate of over 9,000 accredited investors at thesyndicate.com. Producer Justin here. Know a cool startup? Check out openscouting.com, where anyone can refer a startup to our investment team here at launch. Even if you don't know the founder, if you're the first to flag a company for us and we decide to invest, you'll get 5K in cash or 10% of our carry. Hey everybody, producer Rachel here. Are you an early stage startup that has product and market, some traction, and are looking to raise at least $500,000? Apply today to Remote Demo Day for your chance to pitch to over 9,000 investors in Jason's syndicate. Submit your application at remotedemoday.com. Our next event is on April 27th. And if you want to learn how to invest in startups from the world's greatest angel investor, and no, we're not talking about Chris Saka, then head to angel.university to apply. The four-hour workshop costs $300 and all proceeds are donated to charity. To date, we've donated over $175,000 to various charities and you can see the full list at angel.university slash charity. 